Welcome back to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the media industry from the people who did. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, executive producer and former host, and I'm back in front of the mic today to bring you a special bonus series on five writing essentials, brought to you by Nick Childs, the industry writing coach for the College of Journalism at the University of Georgia. Nick and I sat down over Zoom to bring you this bonus series. In this episode, the first of five parts, Nick and I discuss the importance of good storytelling. Why does it matter? And how do we do it? But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Now, here's the lead. Well, welcome, Nick. Virtually, um, I wish that we could be having this conversation in person, but it's still great to see your virtual face. Um, And I'm excited to uh, be here to talk through uh, various parts of uh, best writing practices with you. And to start us off with part one, uh, we're here to discuss the importance of storytelling. So why is it important, in your opinion, to think about journalism from the realm of storytelling? Well, this has been one of the things that I've been trying to impress upon UGA students from my first days there. This is something that I don't think was taught to me enough when I was a young journalist. It wasn't impressed enough by my editors, but there's so much competition now for eyeballs. People have so many other things that they could be doing. Um, And so if you could start out as a journalist, as a writer, with the idea that, that you are trying to, to pull as many readers into your storytelling, into your, your, your story, your narrative as possible, I think that it will serve you well throughout your journalism career. That is what you should consider like your primary objective when you sit down to the computer. You want people to finish the story or at least to get through enough of your story that they get the point that you're making. I mean, that's kind of why the traditional structure is the inverted pyramid because the most important stuff should be at the top. But I think that you should endeavor to make people want to finish. That gets into this idea of what makes a story a good story. And there's, it's almost like uh, the Supreme Court definition of obscenity. Um, you know, you know it when you see it like a a good story there there are so many different ways to approach it one good way to look at is to to think of why we as humans respond to stories i often talk about how so much of kind of the the major texts that we as as humans as americans are taught to respond to like the bible mythical stories about america's founding fathers as humans, we we respond to heroes, we respond to villains, we respond to the underdog. And it doesn't take long as a writer to establish kind of the who what the, the various roles of the players are. And so, for instance, if you're doing a feature story, if you are imagining that the the protagonist, the person that you're writing about, is this underdog who is trying to achieve against all odds, then you're gonna be pulling in a reader because that is such a basic storytelling device that we're all used to. Um, I, I tell 
students all the time about this, this notion of how our brains have already been programmed to expect stories to, to flow in a certain way. So when we're watching a movie and we have the, 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 the movie has established early on kind of who the major, major players are and what their roles are. So if we're watching a movie on Lifetime television, the way that Lifetime is set up these days, we know in the first 20 minutes that she's going to meet the guy. Um, he's going to, the guy's going to be gorgeous. Perhaps he's going to seem too good to be true, but then she's going to, she's going to fall for him anyway. Then we, we know in the second 20 minutes that there's going to be some element of suspicion or danger attached to him. And she, he's going to start making her feel a little uncomfortable. And then in the last 20 minutes, then he's going to become like this monster. So, they know that that's what we're expecting. So they kind of play on that. And when you're watching Lifetime, this is the formula that you're used to. So my point is that the reader is going to have a certain expectation for what is going to come next in the story. And so as a writer, you need to be aware of that. You can play with it. You can kind of turn it on its head. So you can kind of build the reader up to expect a certain thing and then flip it and be like, oh, but this person actually is not the underdog. You know, they've managed to, to do something beyond all expectations um, or maybe even set them up as like the bad guy or something. So there's various ways that you can play with that. But all of it is based and flows from this basic idea that humans respond to stories and respond to a certain flow to stories. And I think that the best, most effective stories are ones that in some way touch on the basic emotions that, that humans kind of carry around with us as motivating factors. So like love and hate and greed and envy and fear, all of those are in some way kind of parts of most people's story t stories and, and most people's kind of motivations for what they do. So those are, are things that I think re the, the writer should keep in mind that the more that their stories and their narr narration can touch on, on, on a lot of these basic human emotions, the more the reader is going to be drawn in. So you mentioned prioritizing human, what, what draws humans in, what draws their hearts and minds in. What are the overall priorities for a writer in, in trying to tell a good story, regardless of the medium? You mentioned, uh, you know, movies. We also mentioned sort of long form writing. How do you prioritize that? I think that it's important to, to establish early on why the reader should care. There's going to be many other, as I said before, many others media competing for the reader's attention. So either this is like the most interesting person that the reader will have come across that day, or this story in some way is imparting information that will affect or change the reader's life um, or the lives of people that they know. So that's a device that is often used. Like I was an education reporter, so I knew that most of the people reading my stories were parents. Um, and so, I could use that and play on that when I talked about education stories or stories involving children, because I knew that most parents were kind of ravenously looking for things to inform their parenting. That's often why you would read education stories. But if I could make it relevant to readers who 
perhaps um, didn't have kids in school or maybe, um, you know, weren't necessarily that, that concerned about the education system, but still this was something that would be useful to them, then I knew that I had kind of won the day. So I think a, a, a big priority is to make sure that you tell the reader pretty early on, like why they should read your story, why, why this was, is something that is going to be important to their lives. A lot of students are sort of learning or engaging with this concept for the first time of if it bleeds, it leads, right? There are certain types of stories that just really respond well in terms of views. And in a lot of ways, journalism industry is really fueled by clicks and eyeballs. So how do you balance wanting to tell a rich story, but maybe it's not going to be something that gets the clicks and the eyeballs? Well, the... the I think the biggest mistake that you can make is to to oversell or over dramatize, which is something that I see a lot of these days on the internet. Um, I'm kind of familiar with that because I spent a lot of my career in New York um, where we had several tabloids. Um, I worked for New York Newsday, which was humorously called the tabloid in a tutu in that we were structured like physically like a tabloid, but it was supposed to be more serious than like the New York Post and the New York Daily News. Um, and the Post was notorious for like these front pages that screamed, you know, gore and, and blood. I mean, like, I guess from the tr tradition of like the British tabloids that were trying to, to draw people's attention as they were walking by the newsstand. And then you'd open it up and read the story and see that it was dramatically oversold. So unfortunately, that is a, a characteristic that is gravitated to the internet in a big way, because as we've said, people are, are competing for eyeballs. And so you often see these stories with these headlines um, that don't really give a true impression of what the story is about. And in this day and age, often I think the before, when, when I felt like one of my stories oversold something, then I, I could fall back on, I didn't write the headline. Um, but these days we often, as journalists working for websites and so forth, we often are writing our own headlines. So just be sure that whatever, you're, whatever claim you're making, I mean, you want the story to be as sexy as possible, as interesting as possible, but make sure that you back it up in the story. And um, I think that it's also helpful to to remember that for the most part that you're talking about people, um, people's lives. Just keep that in mind. That doesn't mean that you're going to to downplay something really interesting or sexy, but know that your words can have a lot of power. If it's not necessary to exploit somebody's pain and suffering, then maybe you know you you would want to take a step back from doing that. Um, just to get like, you know, a few more eyeballs, but maybe ruin someone's life. So just keep that in mind. You mentioned your experience covering education. And one thing I remember uh, experiencing covering, you know, stories for the first time in my community was there are some stories that are just innately not sexy, right? There's the school board meetings, there's the county commission meetings. How do you make those stories that are so cut and dry and so black and white something that jumps out to the reader. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that I think that I learned over time. Well, one, there's going to be an audience for 
in every story that you write, there's somebody out there who cares about that, that particular issue. Um, and so you should keep that in mind, even if it doesn't seem that interesting to you, that there's probably somebody and many somebodies out there who actually do care about what happens at that school board meeting, you know, and, and so keeping that in the back of your mind can help lead you to, to aspects that might be more interesting. So for instance, if it's like a school board zoning meeting um, or, you know, a, a meeting about whether they're going to invest in a new school building or renovate a high school or something, then like beep, 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 like, you know, you should have like a sensor go off and tell you, well, there's somewhere in the community where people really care a whole lot about this. If I'm a good education reporter, I, I would have looked at the agenda for the school board meeting before I got to the school board meeting. So if the meeting is starting at six o'clock, because they put the agendas out for any public meeting before the meeting takes place so that people can possibly come and comment. So if it's a, if it's a meeting about, say, the, the, the high school being renovated and, you know, there, that, that seeming like, like something that perhaps most, most readers won't care about, if I go out and I find who that does care, who that does concern, who does care about it before the meeting, then that makes that school board meeting story much richer. So I can then back into quotes from people who, you know, whose kids are, have been, been learning in trailers for the past year with like, you know, rodents running around, which, you know, happens and has happened to my kids when they had classes and trailers because their school was overcrowded. So, you know, there are ways to make these stories sexy. Often it requires doing some legwork in advance so that you're not just writing a 500 word story about, you know, some argument about, you know, a bond initiative over, you know, the money they're going to spend over this, this new school. You have actual people, you have actual drama, you have lives that are being changed or affected by this. So, um, so I think there's always ways to make what seems like a really boring story on the, on the surface more interesting. Great. Well, thank you, Nick. I think that that will nicely wrap up our part one here for the importance of storytelling. Everyone tune in next when we will talk about finding and gathering news. Thanks for tuning into this special bonus series of The Lead Podcast. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy. This is part one of five, so be sure to tune in to part two, where Nick and I discuss news gathering and where to look to find stories. This podcast was produced with guidance from Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. To keep up with the lead, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. Until next time.